We're getting younger every day, folks. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder, the show about taking chances, chasing dreams, pursuing passions, and creating the life that you want. And proving it's never too late to do any of that. We've got some great guests coming up today, including The Fat-Burning Man. The author, musician, adventurer, and host of one of the most popular podcasts in the world is going to tell us in one sentence how to lose fat. We're also going to meet a 70-something yoga, Pilates, and dance instructor who believes that she has discovered the fountain of youth, and a man who embraced his diagnosis of an incurable disease and learned something that is now helping others who are in the midst of their own personal trials. This is all today, folks. Also, the amazing transformation of a mind motivated by the loss of his grandmother to Alzheimer's. He became the reigning four-time USA memory champion and believes what he's learned can protect us all from dementia. These guests and more all today on Growing Boulder. An important part of growing bolder is taking charge of your everyday life. And it's all about doing more of what brings you closer to your goals and less of what keeps you from achieving them. Absolutely. You know, it's really all about change. And we do talk a lot about that on this program. But of course, change is rarely easy. So the question becomes, how do you create real lasting change? And the answer is through habits. So how do we break bad habits and create good ones? And that is where Gretchen Rubin comes in. How amazing can you get? She is big time, a graduate of Yale Law. She clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor before she became a writer. And she's written best-selling biographies on JFK and Winston Churchill. And then she reinvented herself as like one of the most influential self-help writers in the world. The author of the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She is in demand as a keynote speaker. She's appeared on countless network television shows. She's published in national magazines. She has one of the top podcasts on iTunes, and she writes a very successful blog. And get this, she's been named one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness. She's one of Inc.'s top 50 leadership and management experts and one of the 22 brilliant thinkers everyone should follow on Twitter by Business Insider. Her latest book, already a bestseller, is why we wanted to have her back on the program. It's called Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives, and it tackles the critical question, how can we make good habits and break the bad ones? Let's welcome Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, how are you doing? I'm very happy to be talking to you again. Well, you know what? If we listed everything that you do, oh we wouldn't have gosh. any time for the interview. <laughs> It really is remarkable. We do love this topic, though, and we love the book because it really is a roadmap to growing bolder. We can inspire people to want to change, and we do that every week. But ultimately, as we said, it comes down to the challenge of creating sustainable change in our lives. You call habits the invisible architecture of everyday lives. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Research suggests that about 40% of what we do every day is shaped by our habits. So if we have habits that work for us, we're just far more likely to be happier, healthier, and more productive. If we have habits that don't work for us, it is just going to be a much bigger challenge to bring that about. So habits... They, they underlie everything that we do. They can make our life much easier or they can make it much tougher. Now, a lot of people talk about habits, Gretchen, and it's, it's nothing new. But unlike many of the experts out there on the subject, you start by saying that all of us are different and there is no one-size-fits-all on how to be successful. We have to know ourselves. Absolutely. I think that's the key part because, you know, you read all this expert advice and it's like, Here's the magic answer. Do it first thing in the morning. Do it for 30 days. Give yourself a cheat day. Start small. And all those are strategies that work very well for some people, some of the time, but they don't work all the time for everyone. And so you, I think we get, we get frustrated when we keep trying to change a habit and not succeeding, but I think often it's because when we've tried to change that habit, we've gone about it in a way that isn't suited to us. Maybe it worked for Ben Franklin or Steve Jobs or our sister-in-law. But if it's not going to suit us, then it's going to be very hard for that habit to take hold. We're talking with uh, award-winning writer, best-selling author Gretchen Rubin about her new book, All About Habits. And Gretchen, you've identified 21 strategies to break bad habits and create new ones. One of them is called pairing. What is that? Oh, pairing is a really fun one. So pairing is when you take something that you 
need to do or want to get yourself to do, and, and you pair it with something that you want to do. Um, and it's not a reward. That's very important. It's not like, oh, I'm going for a, r- a run, and therefore I will get myself a scone, or I'm going for a run, and therefore I get to watch an episode of Downton Abbey. It's that two things only go together. So, for instance, one way a lot of people is that there's some kind of TV that they wish they had more time to watch, um, or maybe they spend too much time watching. They only do it on the treadmill. So if you want to watch House of Cards, you have to be on the treadmill. If you're sick in bed and you're too sick to exercise, are you off the hook? Can you watch House of Cards? No, you can only do it when you're on the treadmill. And, um, and with pairing, it just helps reinforce that habit because there's something driving you to it. Um, as you mentioned, I have a podcast, um, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and a lot of people said, oh, I only listen to my favorite podcasts when I'm going for my daily walk. And so that helps propel me and keep me in that habit because I look forward to that and I know that I can't have that thing that I want unless I'm doing this other activity that I also want to do, but maybe I need to give myself a little nudge. It's pretty interesting. Something else that's very cool is the differentiation that you make between abstainers and moderators. And, and for many of us, the old adage, all things in moderation, you say may not be the right idea. Absolutely. So abstainers and moderators has to do with the way that you most easily face a strong temptation. And so abstainers are people like me, and we do better when we have none, never. We, we find it pretty easy to give something up altogether, but we find it very hard to indulge in moderation. So I can have one chocolate. I can have no chocolate chip cookies, or I can have five chocolate chip cookies. I can't have one chocolate chip cookie. So those are abstainers, and we do better when we give something up altogether. Moderators, by contrast, get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. So they do better if they have it sometimes or a little bit. Moderators are often the people who keep a bar of fine chocolate squirreled away in their desk or, you know, in a, in, a, in a drawer someplace. And then once a day or every other day, they have one square of fine chocolate. See, as an abstainer, I, my whole day would be now, later, two squares, three squares. You know, I would be haunted by that candy bar until I'd eaten the whole thing. So it's easier for an abstainer to say, I'm not going to have any chocolate. But a moderator does better when they say, well, I can have a little bit if I want it. Um, and you can see how this causes a lot of conflict among married people or in offices because some people want to be abstaining and some people want to be moderating. Yeah, I think I'm an abstainer, too. Are it, you? It, well, you know, after a while, well, when you abstain from something, it's easy to ignore it. Yes. Uh, but, but it is difficult when it's always there. Uh, don't yeah. you feel like it's easier to resist it by having none than by, by, try, than by trying to tell yourself you can have it sometime? Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you're known for your, your meticulous research. Now, folks, this is a very bright woman. She just doesn't decide she's going to write a book because she thinks it's something she can sell. You know, she spends years using her academic background, her connections, and, and doing research. And in your research, Gretchen, what, what do you find are, are, are the habits that, the most common habits that people either want to form or would like to break? Well, you know, they, they definitely fall into clusters. The top one, eating and drinking healthfully. Another one, exercising regularly. Um, another one, anything related to stop procrastinating or making consistent progress. You know, I want to learn to play Italian. I want to write a blog. I want to write a novel. Why can't I keep up with that? Um, habits relating to resting, relaxing, enjoying. Things like I need to get more sleep. I need to put down my cell phone. I need to be more present in the mo- moment. Um, things related to um, uh, kind of organizing and staying on top of clutter and keeping things cleared and clean, um, which really weighs people down more than you would think. Uh, habits relating to uh, saving, spending, and earning, you know, so not, not spending too much, um, saving regularly, that kind of thing. And then also um, relating to deeper engagement with the world. So whether that's engaging more with friends, engaging more deeply with family, engaging more with God, like uh, reading the Bible every day, or engaging with nature, going for a walk in a park once a day so that you have that feeling of engagement. So that feeling of, of being um, bound into the world with close, intimate ties, which is so crucial for happiness. So all these things can be made into habits that will allow these kind of behaviors to unfold much more automatically and consistently in our everyday lives. So, Gretchen, let's talk for just a minute on on the difference between just doing something and it being a habit. You said it's not one of those deals where if you do it for 20 days, there you go. And and so many of us start with the best intentions and fail. Well, that's, an, that's an, an incredibly important point, because mere repetition is not t- enough to make something a habit, though I think a lot of people assume that that's the case. 
the key aspect of a habit is the lack of decision-making. And something is a habit if it's a behavior on autopilot. You're not deciding whether or not to do something. I do not decide to get up at 6 a.m. I do not decide to skip dessert. I do not decide to wear my seatbelt. These are things that have, are just habits. I just do them without thinking. I don't reward myself for them, for instance. I don't reward myself for brushing my teeth because it's a habit. It's just something that's part of what I always expect of myself. And the fact is, decision-making is draining and difficult. So as much as we can eliminate decision-making, we're going to free ourselves and energize ourselves. And also, it takes self-control. If I'm deciding to wear a seatbelt, I have to tell myself, okay, Gretchen, put on your seatbelt. Okay, Gretchen, put on your gym shoes and go to the gym. And that, that exhausts me, using that self-control. So when a behavior goes on automatic pilot, where it just happens without decision, without self-control, then we, get, then we, we lose that friction. And that's why habits can really serve us so well. So you've written pretty much the definitive book on happiness. And in that book, you basically laid out what makes human beings happy. In a very real sense, this book is kind of a roadmap to, to achieve that happiness. And in, in, in Bill and Mark nomenclature, it's all about growing bolder. And before we let you go, Gretchen, in the final 60 seconds here, what have you learned about life? What have you learned in general about what you call happiness and habit formation and, and what Bill and I would call growing bolder? What makes it all work? You know, I think at its core, it's this idea of knowing yourself. And, of course, that's the most ancient advice of all time. It's on the Temple of Apollo at Delphi. But we can only build a happy life on the foundation of our own nature, our own values, our own interests. We can shape our habits if we take into account what's true for us. We can grow bolder when we know what is it that we truly want, because what we want might be very different from what somebody else wants. Um, and it's only by knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and also expecting more from ourselves that we can build that bold, happy, healthy, energetic life that we all want. So that's how you do it, folks. It's up to us. So you can't lean on somebody else to make things happen for you. It's about standing up, expecting more for your, from yourself, and wanting more out of yourself as well. I tell you what, Gretchen Rubin is a great place to start your journey forward. Check out her latest book because it is a life changer. It's called Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. And, and it's so popular. This book is in 10 languages now. It's at retailers everywhere. And you can find out more about the book. And you can find out more about her as well by going to GretchenRubin.com. Great conversation. Coming up, he embraced a diagnosis of incurable cancer and learned something that is helping others who are facing personal trials of all sorts. That's next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. This is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and it has been proven time and time again that attitude can matter when we're facing major challenges. Of course, being positive in difficult times, the hard part of that is it's not easy. Yeah, this next door is a great example of that. When Stephen Hatcher was diagnosed with an incurable disease in the prime of his life, he was stunned. He was scared, understandably. But then he discovered a secret and found an incredible peace that not only changed his life, but is now helping others in their darkest hours. Steve Hatcher is a successful attorney, a man of faith with a corner office, an active athlete who is about to be blindsided. I reach down, I pull the stump out, and I feel some right kind of in the middle of my back between my shoulder blades. And I thought, that's going to hurt tomorrow. It did hurt tomorrow and the next day. When the pain didn't go away, Steve had an MRI. What he thought was a pulled muscle was multiple myeloma, a malignant tumor on his spine. Cancer doesn't care. Doesn't care if you're a runner, doesn't care if you're a 
biker, a triathlete, just doesn't care. The tumor was threatening Steve's ability to continue walking. Surgeons wanted it removed immediately. The consequences of continued growth or a fracture of a vertebral body are potentially catastrophic. And so that requires attention first. The night before the surgery, we got a call from my son, and they were on the way to the hospital um, for an emergency C-section. And um, our granddaughter was born about three weeks early, and we were supposed to be there uh, to help with everything. Their lives turned upside down in an instant. Multiple myeloma is incurable but treatable. After successful surgery to remove the tumor, Steve turned to Dr. William Grow and Florida Hospital to treat his cancer. And I went through 16 rounds of chemo with uh, Dr. Grow, coupled with 10 rounds of radiation in the midst of the chemo. It was a physical challenge that Steve viewed as a spiritual opportunity, a trial that his faith had prepared him for. Embrace the trial. Let the trial have an effect on you. See the trial as something that God has allowed to come into your life because it is going to work, a work in your heart, in your character that might not otherwise be possible. Steve responded well to the chemo and radiation, but multiple myeloma has a history of returning, and to increase his odds of long-term survival, doctors recommended a stem cell transplant. Which basically is a cleansing of your bone marrow with a gargantuan chemo hit that uh, is intended to just get as deep and kill as much as it can. That process took three weeks, during which time he was basically isolated in a small room. For many, a nightmare. For Steve Hatcher, an opportunity. You know you're not going alone. You know God is going right with you. He promises you that. So let's go into this journey and let's see what he has to say. As he listened, he wrote, turning his conversation with God into a personal journal and then weekly emails to family and friends. I look forward to his emails as much as anybody else because they were a source of strength for me and they enabled me to kind of hang on. His emails became social media, friends sharing with friends. Soon nearly 300 people, most of whom he had never met, were on the list and he began to hear from many, including ministers and pastors. And he said, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to use some of these things on my sermons on Sunday mornings. People kept coming to me and saying, you know, the things that you're writing in your emails, they are impactful and you really ought to find a way to get them in a book. And so I did. I got an editor and self-published a book and got it on Amazon and probably a thousand copies of it out there now. And you hear stories come back from, from people that it's, uh, that it's helped. Safe in the storm, the grace of God in the midst of cancer is now helping people not just with cancer, but any major life challenge. I had one lady tell me that it helped her through her divorce. I had someone else tell me that it helped her uh, through a financial breakdown because the book is just about trials. Steve's cancer has been in remission for three years. He's still on a daily regime of chemo and knows that his multiple myeloma could return. And neither of us know what the future holds. Steve has a full working knowledge of that, too, that this could come back and we might have to intensify the treatment and it might get more challenging. If it does return, he knows he's in good hands, not just spiritually, but medically with his team at Florida Hospital. There, there wasn't a single person that I didn't feel really cared deeply. I would go back to that uh, facility in a heartbeat. Would not have any reservations at all. And what if he could somehow change the entire journey, snap his fingers, and never get the cancer diagnosis? I wouldn't give it up. My communication with God uh, so much stronger and deeper having gone through this that I'll, I'll stay where I am. I just want to continue to tell the story and walk through the doors that are opened and See, see who I can help. Like all of us, Stephen Hatcher has an uncertain future, but he also now has a deep peace from discovering that he's safe in the storm. And that's news worth sharing.
You know, the one thing that is certain for all of us is that trials will come. That's just life. Stephen Hatcher embraced the trial and turned a very difficult experience into one of deep personal and spiritual growth. You know, and thank goodness, Mark, he has the courage enough to share his story with anybody who needs that kind of encouragement. And if you'd like a video of his story, just go to growingbolder.com, search for his name, Stephen Hatcher, and you won't be sorry you did. You'll also find a link to learn more about his book, Safe in the Storm. Up next, the 70-something yoga and Pilates guru who has everyone talking. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here. You're listening to Growing Boulder. And if you like Growing Boulder Radio, and come on, raise your hand if you don't, a reminder to check out Growing Boulder Television. And our next guest now, man, she's the poster girl for the benefits of staying active as we age. She's been involved with the ballet, with the yoga, Pilates, and more for over 65 years. Yeah, she is now in her 70s, and she teaches yoga classes every day in Rancho Mirage, California. And now, thanks to a fabulous new series of DVDs, she is inspiring men and women worldwide, not only with her style and her technique, but with her graceful attitude on aging. Let's find out more as we welcome Janice Leonard. Hey, Janice, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, yoga seems to be more popular than ever, uh, and there has been some major longevity benefits because, you know, you're just a young lady compared to some of the instructors out there. I mean, we've had on this show uh, yoganinis who are in their late 90s still teaching classes. What makes yoga such an ageless, such an age-defying activity? Well, I, you know what? I think it's all a mind-body uh, control or whatever you would call it because really your mind becomes relaxed, which also relaxes the body, and you're stretching and, you know, meditating while you're doing your poses. So I think that kind of helps everything. You're, you slow down. You're not, you know, running 50 miles an hour trying to do something. You're just taking your time, doing a daily workout, and make it easy for yourself so the body kind of just goes with the flow. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. <laughs> Janice, are, 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 you just, are you just lucky? Are some people luckier than others? You know, I get up in the morning, my knees hurt, my back is sore, and my <laughs> neck has got a crick in it. But you, we watch you, and you, you've, you have embraced aging so well. Is it a question of just how you end up, what happens in life? Uh, you know what? I think that is part of it. Um, you know, you just take whatever is handed to you and you try to make it good instead of dwelling on the bad stuff that might happen. And uh, I think that's what I've done with my life. I, You know, there's always been something that maybe you would get angry about or whatever, but then you turn around and say, you know, what am I worried about? I'm, I'm alive. I'm living, and I'm living a fairly good life, and enjoy it. That that's really what it is. Accept what you have and enjoy it. You know, we're building a business on that very philosophy. And Janice, we get just like you do that, you know, some difficult things, some challenges, even some bad things occur when we age. But there is so much positive, so many opportunities. Since you do embrace aging, what do you like most about maturing? What 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 have you found to be the most beneficial thing about actually getting older? Well, for me, getting older, um, you, you kind of like think you know a lot more than you did when you were younger, and you tend to accept things that happen and just let it just slide off your back and enjoy your everyday things instead of, like I said, dwelling on and negative things. You you take all the good things because you're still here. You're still alive. You're still breathing, able to move and enjoy everything you do every day. 
you know, sometimes, Janice, people can look at you and say, well, sure. I mean, she's been doing this for decades. It's a, fitness has been her lifestyle. And others just can't get off the couch to get going. I'm sure you've met so many people that are reluctant who want to do it but can't. What, what do you say to them? How do you, how do you get somebody just to take that step? Well, it's interesting because uh, it was just yesterday there was a gentleman who came to one of my classes last week for the first time, a yoga class, and uh, he was telling me how sore he was after class. And he said, I had never done anything like that before, but I thought, you know what, I really enjoyed it, and I'm coming back. And he came back yesterday to class, and he said, thank you so much. I really enjoyed your class. And because he was older, he was probably, I think he was like in his late 60s, in his mid-60s. And he said, I really enjoyed doing this, and I'm going to try. I said, and that's all you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to push yourself to go beyond what you can do. You do what you can. And in my class, I always tell people, when you feel like you have gone as far as you're going to go, just relax, pull back, and then wait for the next part to come along and just relax the body. And basically, that's it. You know, I did a little bit of research on Janice for, the, for this interview, and almost everybody that, that, that writes about her, that describes her. That Iron is, Fist, uh, no, Mean. No, no, just the opposite. Everybody that sees her <laughs> DVDs, that goes to her classes, describes her as a graceful, elegant, lovely woman who knows what she's doing. And, and folks, you should check it out. It really only takes about 30 seconds of watching one of her new DVDs to feel the same way. And, and, and let's get that plug in right now because we believe in what she's doing. Her three DVDs, she's got one for Matt Pilates, another one for Ballet Bar, uh, and a third for Yoga. And, and Janice, these really are the opposite of those loud, frenetic workout videos that we see <laughs> advertised on TV all the time. You obviously have gone in a different direction, right? Uh, correct. I have gone into a different direction. I, I like slow. I'm, I'm slow. I, I move slow. I take my time. And I think that's partly from my ballet, doing ballet as a child. And, you know, all through my life, I've done it. Not, not as a professional, but as, uh, just every day uh, I did classes. And it really helped to calm the mind. And the music is beautiful in ballet instead of, you know, the frenetic music you get in most of the things. And, and try to relax the body. And everybody's running around and trying to push themselves so hard. And just sit down by yourself somewhere in the corner and relax and enjoy it. Janice, and you, that's what I do. Do you talk? Do you talk about your age and how old are you these days? And and how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling fine. I I'm 72. I'm headed a few months. Before, well, let's see, I think I had four more months I'd been before I'm 73. So I'm doing doing fine. I am feeling well. Um, you know, I've had little aches and pains just like everyone else. But um, I tend to just uh, go with it, just let it flow and just relax with the, the pain, and, and it works. Folks, she is a great example, a wonderful role model for graceful active and healthy aging. She's not just a breath of fresh air, Bill. She is actually a yoga breath of fresh air. You know, you watch and you feel like, and you know, it looks so easy, Mark, and she's right about that guy being sore. You try yoga and everyone knows it, it's it's tough stuff. Uh, check it out, folks. Uh, look at her DVDs. And if you want to learn more about her, and you really should, take a look at the pictures of this woman and you'll see what we mean when we say elegant and graceful. Check them all out at Janice Leonard. That's L-E-N-N-A A-R-D, JaniceLeonard.com. Coming up, you want some no-nonsense, common-sense nutrition advice? Well, we've got the host of one of the most popular podcasts in the world, and he's going to break it all down. The Fat-Burning Man is next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. 
This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And Bill, here's something that's bugged me for quite a while. One of the most frustrating things for anybody that's trying to eat healthy, which really should be everybody, is the amount of misinformation out there, the amount of disagreement from all directions. Doctors, researchers, big food manufacturers, health food manufacturers, nutritionists, nobody can agree on anything. You're right, Mark. It can be overwhelming when you walk in the bookstore and see shelf after shelf of books. And just because something you go in the store and something marked as healthy, that doesn't mean it is. Just because something you see says low fat on it, that doesn't mean it's good for you. And that's why we want to talk to Abel James. You know him as the fat-burning man. He's a best-selling author, a musician, adventurer, and host of the award-winning Fat-Burning Man Show podcast. And folks, if you're not listening to this, you're one of the few because they get over a half million downloads a month on iTunes, and it's one of the most listened-to podcasts of any kind in the world. Yeah, and it's not magic. It's because this guy is a no-nonsense, transparent, parent, tell-it-all kind of guy who is building a global franchise based upon his integrity. His new book is called The Wild Diet. Let's welcome the wild man, the fat-burning man, Abel James. Abel, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Hey, you know, we're thrilled to do it. And before we talk about what works, uh, let's talk about why you know it works. Because when you moved from a small farm to a big city, you changed your diet, almost immediately felt like garbage. What happened? That's right. Yeah. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and uh, my mom got really into herbs and kind of foraging in the backyard. And we could always find even like wild cranberries, blueberries, huckleberries, blackberries, pears, apples, all sorts of different things like that. And then uh, also she all she always had an herb garden and then another garden too. And so we ate pretty well growing up. And then uh, you know, of course, I thought I was better than that bodunk town that I came from, and uh, I went to go pay off my loans in Washington, D.C., started working, actually, with uh, some big food and beverage companies as a consultant, and uh, drank some of their Kool-Aid, so to speak, and <laughs> I, I wound up not doing too well. Basically, um, swapped some of those fresh foods that I was getting for whatever I could get that seemed to be healthy from Safeway right down the street. And uh, so I started putting on weight, and every time I went into the doctor's office, I was a little bit fatter, a little bit sicker. I I tell my story in my book about that, not because I'm special or particularly interesting, but because it's happened to almost all of us, and I want people to learn from my mistakes. And so you did, and and you got to the point where you knew you had to do something about it. I, I think I was reading you lost 20 pounds in 40 days, and not only did you do it in a healthy fashion, but you said you enjoyed it. Now, I don't know if anybody enjoys losing 20 and 40. How did you do it? How did you do it so quickly, and how did you do it to where it wasn't a burden on you? Yeah, well, you know what's crazy is when I was gaining weight, when I was, uh, you know, I was exercising, I was running like 30 miles a week, um, I was dieting harder than ever. I'd never really dieted before. I was always just athletic and kind of ate when I was hungry and, and stopped eating when I wasn't. And uh, for the first time, I was hungry all the time. I was kind of sluggish. And so, yeah, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, well, clearly this isn't working. Um, and a few years before that, my older brother, he went from a scrawny, like, 150 pounds up to 200 pounds of pure muscle after he watched um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Pumping Iron for the first <laughs> time. And I was like, okay, so what are, what are these guys doing? This, this is kind of crazy. And uh, I saw that some of them were eating 36 eggs a day and chugging heavy whipping cream and drinking a gallon of milk. And I'm like, what? In the, how does that work? Uh, but since what I was doing, the low-fat, restricted diet, diet that my doctor recommended wasn't working at all, I figured, well, why don't we just flip that on its head, try the opposite, go for high-fat foods like that. And that's where the, the 20 pounds in 40 days came from. It was a little over a month. Um, the, the fat just kind of came off. And uh, like anyone else who's a young buck in their prime, you, you should be looking and feeling great when you're a young guy in your 20s. But if, unfortunately, like middle age is kicking in for a lot of us way too early. Wow. You know, here's what I like about you. Most people don't want to tell you anything until you read the entire book. My favorite line in your entire book is early on. I think it's on page 12 or 13, and it's this. If you're not in the mood to read another diet book back-to-back, I'll give you the secret to fat loss in one sentence right now. Stay away from sugar and processed grains, especially in the morning. I mean, you hate processed grains, don't you? I do. I do, because they burned me so bad, and they've They've gotten a lot of us, right? Like we think that eating a bagel, a whole wheat bagel, 
is a healthy breakfast with some zero-calorie jam or fat-free cream cheese on top or something like that. But it's really not different from a donut. Uh, similar thing with, with toast and butter. The stuff that we're eating today, they're processed whole grains. And even if they're called whole grains, why are those healthy anyway? The, the government is backtracking on pretty much all of its recommendations from the past 30 years. And uh, food companies are kind of scrambling to keep up with the confusion in the marketplace. And I think if you want to get off of that craziness, then we can all just kind of take a step back. This is what I encourage people to do. Uh, get back to your roots, you know, like those those weird fermenting vegetables that your grandma might have had in the cupboard. Those things were, were their secret, you know. One of the reasons that we used to live a long time and um, and really not experience these horrible diseases that we're seeing today is because we were getting enough nutrients, and you can actually do that from foods that taste great, not these these foods that taste like cardboard that we're used to. Okay, so everybody now, Abel, is wondering what do you eat, and I know you're a proponent of food found in the wild, and I hear that, and people do, and you almost imagine in your head tree bark and nematodes and, you know, and dropping right. them. So, so what are you talking about? So basically, uh, there's the, the frankenfoods that come out of the food industry, and uh, the word wild is great. Uh, I think because no one has really like destroyed it yet. It hasn't been poisoned by food marketing. Um, so I decided to use that as basically saying the opposite of where we are. Let's go back to getting food from nature, not not food that works against nature, industrial food. But what so what that looks like on a plate is lots of super fresh, leafy green and colorful vegetables make up more than half your plate and some fruits as well. With a, a generous serving of protein would be like the size of your palm, and uh, that should be as high quality as you can from pasture-raised animals that were raised in their, their natural, in the true sense of the word, environment. Um, and then you, you fill up on healthy fats like from avocado, coconut oil, olive oil, uh, and one of my favorites, grass-fed butter. Folks, you got to read this book. Not enough time now, but if you want to hear what this guy thinks about eating soy, uh, about GMOs, how you can lose weight while you're eating bacon, butter, eggs, chocolate, cheese, wine, pick the book up. But, Abel, before we let you go, now your success has captured the attention of not only the healthy and, and the food industries, but the success and motivation industries as well because of the way that you've achieved your success. Give us an Abel James takeaway. What's the secret to living a life of significance in your estimation? One of the things that we do is really unplug from whatever system we're, we're kind of uh, experiencing. So uh, about a year ago, we sold, we lived in Austin for the past like six years in um, Austin, Texas. And so I sold my house and, and uh, our cars and pretty much everything we had. And we've been traveling the world. We declared technological bankruptcy. And basically, like all of those emails and text messages and social media sent out a message and said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to go travel for a while. We'll come back on the radar and chat with you guys soon. But we took some time to really uh, live in the woods, you know, to experience nature, to go out and adventure. And so many of us in, in uh, days where time is more and more um, stretched, we need to just take that, like, five-minute walk in the morning, get some sun, go out with your dog. If you don't have a dog, pretend that you do. You know, really experience some peace of mind, and then you can, you're better at everything when you do that. Folks, the new book is called The Wild Diet, and it's not just a diet book. It's a manual to reclaiming your health. You can learn more about that and the book by uh, checking out abeljames.com. Abel, thanks so much for everything. Coming up, one of the most unusual guys you will ever meet, the four-time USA memory champion, mountaineer, and Alzheimer's disease activist. And there's a very touching and emotional story behind it all. Nelson Dellis is next on Growing Boulder. Party kept on going till I thought I'd die. But a voice inside sang so sweet and low. Then 
subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. You are going to love this interview. He's a former software developer who was inspired to train his mind when his grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's disease. And to say this guy has been successful is uh, like an understatement. In just four and a half years, he transformed himself into one of the world's greatest professional memory athletes alive. And he's the four-time USA National Memory Champion. Yeah, get this. In the 2014 National Championships, he broke his own record by recalling 310 digits in five minutes, and he set a new record memorizing 193 names in just 15 minutes. And here's what makes it cool. He does not have a photographic memory or any unusual powers. He is not the rain man. He does it the old-fashioned way. He trains five hours a day, and this is only part of his amazing story. Let's find out more as we welcome Mr. Nelson Dellis. Nelson, how are you today? Hey, guys. I'm awesome. Thank you. How are you? Great. We appreciate your time. Now, you train for hours every day. What kind of training is that? What does one do to develop the kind of recall capacity that you have? Yeah, I mean, so I I treat memorization like, um, you know, any skill that you might want to improve on and I'm competing at this high level so in these competitions so I need to spend a lot of time on drills and, and different training um, exercises and these relate to the actual events that happen at the competition so, so, so whatever they have there are different types of competitions I'll do sets of you know memorizing cars or memorizing numbers and I just do it over and over again until I get faster and uh, more efficient at it how fast or efficient can can the human mind be? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, records are broken all the time in the sport of memory. And, you know, 20 years ago when these competitions popped up, the standards back then were really low. Still impressive, but every year they just get higher and faster. And um, it's really tough to say when we'll reach a limit, if we will. I don't know. You know what makes this story so fascinating, folks, is that it was his grandmother that inspired him to do this. Uh, Nelson, what was it about your relationship with your grandmother and her suffering from Alzheimer's that struck such a chord in you that you you totally changed your life and you took on a challenge that that to most of us would seem impossible? Yeah, you know, I um, I, she lived in France and um, I was in the States, and so I'd only get to see her maybe once, maybe twice a year. Um, over the years that she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So when I would see her, it was always these drastic changes from the last time I saw her. And I think that probably played a bigger effect on me than anything because, you know, a year before she would forget things but was still kind of there. And then the next year um, she didn't even know who I was. And just watching that was obviously heartbreaking but also in a way fascinating Um to see the brain kind of be capable of, of, of losing so much so quickly. Um, and then when she, when she passed away, that was really the first person that I was been close to that passed away. So I think the combination of those two things just made me really, really interested in memory and super motivated to not let the same thing happen to me down the road, you know? And kind of, Nelson, you went the other way where she was losing hers. You were just exercising and gaining yours. I think one of the first USA yeah. Memory Championships you were in, you didn't even place. So you had to refocus. Yeah. It's not like it came naturally to you. So you refocused your energies on, on mountain climbing, another one of your passions. Yeah. And, and now you've combined the two by creating the nonprofit Climb for Memory organization. Tell us about that. Yeah, so after training a lot of hours and, and figuring out what works uh, with the brain in terms of memorizing and being sharp and all this um, this kind of brain cognition enhancement, um, I realized I needed to share that with people. I mean, the reason I started this was because of my grandma, and um, 
I wanted others to know that there is there are possibilities to improve your your brain health and your memory. So I, I, I wanted to find a way to kind of create a voice for myself on a pretty big platform, as big as I could. And um, I love to climb mountains, and I figured what bigger way to do it than by climbing mountains and try to get people to check that out and be interested and fascinated with nature and the world and, and at the same time learn a little bit about memory and Alzheimer's. It's an amazing organization with an incredible mission, and, and it, it is so unique. And, you know, you've climbed some pretty big mountains, but you've not successfully reached the, the, the summit of the biggest of all. You've made two attempts to climb Mount Everest. You had bad equipment one time. You had bad weather the other. Uh, Nelson, did the tragic earthquake this year delay or change your plans on going back and trying for a third time? Um, actually, I was planning to go back this year. Um, but I had other kind of commitments that I needed to focus on, so I pushed it back to next year. Um, I had a few friends who were out there and a lot of Sherpa um, from the communities there I knew, but thankfully all of them were okay. But, I mean, that whole area has just been hit so hard. It's really been quite sad to see. But um, I'm trying to go back there next year. You know, I think the best – a lot of people are saying we shouldn't climb there anymore, but I think – the best thing to do for that, that country it relies so heavily on um, tourism and these expeditions that bring in millions and millions of dollars um, to the country. Uh, we just got to keep climbing, you know? Well, Nelson, to give people an idea about, about your memory, I, I read somewhere that you can memorize like a full deck of shuffled cards in like a minute. I'm not really sure what that means, but I know that it's a lot better than I can do. Are, are, are there things, how good is your memory, in other words, and how can we start down the road so that I don't leave my keys somewhere and have to spend 20 minutes trying to find them? Right. Um, yeah, so memorizing a deck of cards is actually one of the events they have at the competition. And I remember the first time I ever tried that with a technique that I had just read in a book it took me 20 minutes, Right which I thought at the time was awesome. <laughs> but uh, nowadays, yes, I broke the minute barrier, and actually my fastest time in competition is 40 seconds. Oh. Um, but the world record even is it was just broken, I think, a week or two ago, and it's 20 seconds. Tell us how that works, because I still don't get it. Do they lay out the entire deck in front of you, and you have to, to look at the order, and then they, 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 they remove them? How does that work? Yeah, so you get the deck of cards. It's shuffled. It's it's in a random order. You don't know, and you have a timer. And so when you lift up the deck to look at it, you can study it. That's the time that they give you. So when I say you know somebody memorized a deck of cards in 20 seconds, that means they looked at the order of the deck in their hands. You know they went through it for 20 seconds, and then placed the deck of cards away from them, and they had it in their mind memorized. Unbelievable. Following that. Yeah, then they, they, they take another deck of cards that's in, you know, it's a brand new deck, and you have to place it in the same order as the one you memorized. That's how they verify. Uh, it's an amazing deal. Who knew there was such a thing other than you guys who do it? But but I know he's going to change that, folks. He's very entrepreneurial. Nelson Dellis is starting the Extreme Memory tournament to try to take uh, what he does to a larger audience. We're going to stay in touch with that. We'll share those details with you. But for now, folks, check out his website because he is one of the most unusual men alive, someone who is proving the power of passion and persistence. His name is Nelson Dellis. You can learn more about the man and his mission at climbformemory.com. Nelson, thanks for your time. And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to growingbolder.com slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. 
It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming roll, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I. Something